there you are. It went full screen. All right. Boom, 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 boom. A photo. Huh? Oh, I read somewhere a note. If you have like a more focused screen instead of going full screen, but you have less places for your eyes to wander. So should the look more focused. This is why I avoid going full screen whenever I'm interviewing. I see. I look right between your eyebrows. But as the if you on my screen are like big on on the whole screen, if I'm trying to get all of the cues, so because I'm a half baby in the al gaze. Let me just make sure. Uh, yeah. I think I got your eyebrows lock salt. Yes. <coughs> Just want to make sure that your eyebrows don't move that way, right? I, I try. You know, we've already started recording, so. Okay. I kid. Hello. Hello. My inner scientist would like to just like record and I do not approve. So, Elia, since you are a, um, a scientist, can you tell me why this is not appropriate for a podcast episode? It's not appropriate for most things, not just a podcast episode. But this is a makeshift mask. No, a makeshift mask should be tighter, protect additional areas, be made out of cotton. This doesn't work. Maybe that's better. That's, that's better. Much better. You know... It's actually, it's good that this disease, that, I mean, you don't need to be blindfolded. You just need to, you know. Okay. It's getting to our brains, I think. How have you been the last three months? Uh, it's been an interesting roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> I landed here in Montreal end of January. Hmm. I had a very interesting uh, couple of weeks and then moved into a new neighborhood. I, I never moved, uh, lived here specifically. You were, and, living um, in, you were living in Montreal before we met. I mean, before yes. the, okay, yeah. Yes, so but you not in this specific neighborhood. Yeah, 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 yeah. So getting to know the grocery stores and all of that. But like a couple of weeks in, we had to start with the physical distancing. Yeah. So it's been, it's been... A journey. You know, I thought today I had like the last month every day I've had a lot of time to think. I think all of us have time to just sit down and reflect. Um, there are a few people I know that have had this kind of situation. They were in Beirut in a very intense moment, uh, a lot of social cohesion. A lot of packed areas, uh, hundreds of thousands, at times millions of people out on the streets throughout the country. And then the complete opposite. Uh, social distancing. Um, in other words, rest, quiet, as opposed to sort of euphoria and, and celebration. And it's really the polar opposite. And I was thinking today that maybe both societies need a bit of each. And then I thought, you know, I saw, we saw, we're going to get into this, of course, but we, we both saw Lebanon sort of come back to life, almost like emerging from a coma. 
And then we're both witnessing different cities. I'm in New York. You're in Montreal. Uh, we're witnessing cities that are usually buzzing, especially New York. New York, I mean, that old cheesy saying, I mean, New York is asleep at the moment. It is yeah. asleep. And uh, for the right reasons. I mean, it's dangerous to not be at home and distancing. And this society is sort of taking a break, taking a step back. And uh, in a way, I think we're fortunate because we're able to see these things chronologically. We left Beirut in January. I left late January as well. We both arrive <laughs> to this part of the world and then out of nowhere, we're locked indoors. So I really wanted to talk to you because I, uh, I just keep thinking back at how energetic those months were in Beirut and how quiet these months have been. And uh, out of a necessity to have some human contact indoors, I'm doing this on video. <laughs> <laughs> After a hundred some episodes of audio only, I gave up. I need to see the people I'm talking to. And I'm glad you said yes. So um, I just want your kind of experience in that, in that back and forth. And uh, I know that this is a short to medium term situation. I know that we're not going to live with COVID-19 forever. I know that this is sort of temporary. And I know that the protests in Lebanon most likely will resume or the demands will resume. That's not a closed chapter. So that story is probably going to keep going. We'll both be mm -hmm. thinking about that one probably more down the road. But just your sort of uh, your own personal take on that one end of the spectrum to the other. And let me take off this blindfold so it doesn't uh, look so silly. <laughs> I didn't realize I was strangling myself. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know. It, it seems right now so far away in time, uh, but definitely there was a lot of people on the streets, a lot of movement. We were barely sleeping, just trying to cover the stories. We were lucky enough to hear so many. Mm -hmm. And I know you agree with the fact that we also heard a sentiment saying, we can't stay on the streets forever. We need to work yeah. because... Life goes on, we need a paycheck, we need to pay for our existence, whether at home yeah. or on the street. So that was a sentiment that existed maybe before Christmas. Like, I could hear those thoughts, yeah. especially uh, for those who've been sleeping in tents, who got laid off. It, it was a thing to think about, but it wasn't super, super obvious, let's say, or super urgent. Um, afterwards, with this whole moving here, I kept in touch with um, a lot of people I've met, also a lot of people who are documenting it. So for example, a lot of photographers. I know I used some of their material while I was uh, explaining uh, some of the Thoda moments to students here in oh, the journalism these are people, department. These are people you yeah. met in Montreal? Uh, no, so I, I, I know of their work oh, because oh, okay. of Thoda, yeah. but I yeah, needed yeah. Like, um, a visual uh, illustration of the podcast and what really happened in Thoda. So yeah. I used their material. And following them, I've seen the pictures of crowds, um, interaction, and now they're documenting the empty streets because, as you know, journalists are still allowed to go out. And it's just haunting, just scrolling through my feed, looking at their work now. I didn't know jur journalists still have permission to yes. be out on the streets in Beirut. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. 
So if, if you follow them and just look at the pictures they're taking, it's 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 haunting. Like yeah. you see, the ring is completely deserted. Yeah. Scenes we we weren't used to. Even on the off days, even on the rainy days, even on the shitty days, it was never that deserted. So that yeah, transition right. also documented through social media is is very, very haunting. Um, one One other thing is also how different people's concerns are um, here mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. back in Lebanon. So I know that the Canadian government is issuing aid uh, for most people who are affected by the situation, who lost their jobs, etc., etc. So people's concerns here are very valid uh, with respect to how the economy is going to progress, what their government is doing. But it also reminds me of how this problem is tenfold, if not more, back in Lebanon. Most people literally have nothing to go back to. It's not something that will pass. Yeah. It's something that's on top of a million other problems. So yeah. also contrasting the two situations, how people here have access to a free press, um, people who are uh, also interrogating what the government is doing, not just criticizing for the sake of criticizing, but actually through numbers, um, documenting what's happening versus back home where it's a bit lacking. Yeah. It, it's something to, to think about. I mean, it couldn't have come at a worse time. I mean, it's yeah. the, the economy had already been, I mean, the, the economy crashed even before the protests started. And then you have that sort of, uh, I mean, it's, things were so bad in January regardless. And, yeah. and people's patience really being tested there. And then... <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, you can't, you can't imagine these things, right? October 17 was impossible to imagine. And then three months later, four months later, a global pandemic. It's just impossible to to forecast these things. Even even within the span of the last two months. So I remember when I left, uh, my parents and I were talking about how we might uh, figure out a way to transfer money here, at least for me, because all international transfers have stopped. Yeah. Now our main conversation on a daily basis is how they shouldn't be touching their money. Whatever they withdrew, they just keep here. Um, sorry, keep back in, in Beirut. The whole conversation about money is different. It's one of the first times in my life where I hear my mom is watching where she shops and what she shops for. It's it's mind-blowing how fast the change is happening, especially like fuel prices are still higher than market rates. It's just, yeah. it's just insane. It's, it's just insane. But can you tell me a bit about your own experience on that? Because this is something that you can say as much as you want in terms of the, the cash transfers. I mean, they were already an yeah. issue before, before yep. both of us left Beirut. But just your own situation, I mean, what, what are the mechanisms for you to still sort of be comfortable enough in Montreal? Because I know that it's only maybe two or three days ago that the withdrawals for accounts, I think less than, I forget the exact figure, was it $3,000? Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, that you could withdraw in lira at market rate there. Yeah. But are you able to, I mean, how are you How are you managing in, in a personal way on, on that stuff? Because I think that that is many Lebanese in the diaspora that are stuck outside are in that situation. Yeah, uh, at least the ones 
um, who de- either depended on their parents for support, mm. or in my case, uh, who depended on the fact that I would be graduating soon and getting my work permit. So the thing is, hopefully most of us in my class are graduating now, which would allow us to be uh, full-time workers. Now I can only work part-time because I'm a student. Right, so this right. whole situation, along with not being able to transfer from Lebanon, and honestly, even if I could transfer from Lebanon, I'm telling my parents to just keep it. Transfer yeah. nothing. They're going to be um, needing it way more than I am because I expect to enter the job market way before anything. So you're able to... So you're, in your, your personal income is Canadian at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you're making ends meet with a with a Canadian salary part time, yep. because of visa restrictions. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you describe just your day to day situation in Montreal? And I'd like to. I think a lot of us have sort of similarities here, but yeah. I mean, are you more inclined to pretend to cook now because <laughs> we can't simply just order food regularly without? Spending all our savings. I mean, are you? Uh, yeah. How? It's, it's, yeah. How, what is? How are you dealing with it? Okay. So, just an FYI, this is officially my twenty eighth day in physical distancing. Yeah. So, which means I go out maybe once a week to get my groceries. Um, so, so you're any, leaving your apartment only once a week. Yeah. So yeah. Pretty much seven days in a row, you're indoors. Yes. Yeah, I, I mean, just to compare, I spent one full week as well indoors, and I yes. think I, I almost lost my mind. It definitely affects it, yeah. which um, uh, is a daily challenge. Um, I'm, I'm currently sharing how I'm coping with it on social media and all of that, hoping to inspire and maybe get inspired, depending on what I see there. But it definitely made me reflect on my spending and other habits that yeah. I used as proxies to stay sane. So yeah. I would regularly order out. I would regularly just buy stuff on Amazon. Now, even if I could buy stuff on Amazon, why would I put someone's life at risk just to get like a new set of coloring pens? <laughs> <laughs> it makes no sense. No, that's So yes, yeah, currently, yeah. before we started this recording, we experimented with a new form of popcorn, <laughs> and that is adding oregano to it with salt. It's actually not bad. Oh, so you're doing it the old... Fa- the um... Yes. Yes, the We're real popcorn. <laughs> you remind me of my childhood. This is pre-microwave popcorn. You're just yes. doing the kernels, and okay. I hope you're keeping that lid on so it doesn't. Y- you uh, learn. You, you learn. learn. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, I like these sort of, um, in a way, it's like playful examples of yep. how people are just dealing with this, because it, it is. It's not just isolation. It's not just social distancing. It's. It's confinement. I mean, we're staying in we're staying in the same place. It's not like we're moving mm-hmm. from place to place. I think it'd be very different if we were literally able to go from one location to the other, staying inside. But that's not what's happening. We're indoors in our homes all the time, um, yep. and you have a roommate. So I'm guessing even yes. that relationship is being tested, probably to a point that you have to kind of be careful not to, not not to you know get on each other's nerves too much. And, yes, you know, but she's she's very patient so far. She's patient. Okay, that's good. That's very good. much. Yeah, I, I'm guessing she would be the one who needs to be more patient in that relationship. Definitely, definitely, because yeah. I'm definitely louder. I talk <laughs> with my parents, with many people every day, so she has to listen to that because yeah. it's not the biggest house in the world. 
Um, but yeah, she's very patient and hopefully it's going well so far. Does she know about your previous three months in Beirut? Does she sort of have the backstory to what you were doing there? Uh, we talked about it, but yeah. um, I don't know how not to burden people with it, though. Mm-hmm. Like I talk about it as an interesting journalistic experience, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I also know when to draw a limit of limit how personal you get in that conversation because sure. it definitely affected me a lot. It affected and still affects how I see the world here, how I see um, the situation in Beirut, how I talk to my friends, the connections I made there when I talked to them with my seven-hour difference. It affects many things. Um, so yeah, she knows of it, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. I don't think uh, I want to even go into a more... Uh, emotional experience because I don't think I'm emotionally stable at this point to discuss that. No, but you know, I ask you because I think that's a situation that both of us know intimately. You probably even more so because you spend day after day after day after day after day after day in Martyr Square in downtown. So you, I mean, I know because I know the location and I spent enough time with you there to know, to have an idea of what you were doing. Uh, but you you come back or you, you leave and that's something very difficult to explain and especially if someone maybe caught it by chance on the news or maybe social media yeah. even Lebanese abroad that participated their way abroad still it did not sort of get the full picture I think uh, I think you had to have been there to really embrace it and experience it that said this thing that we're all dealing with is something I don't think we'll ever need to explain because it's not a confined story. I mean, this is a global story. And I think this is very, very strange to have an issue that you don't need. There will be no storyteller (laughs) or if there are storytellers for COVID-19. I mean, I think it'll be a long time because it's something that we all dealt with together. It's not like Oh, the Paris experience versus the Montreal yes. versus the Beirut. Maybe some cities are harder, like New York. New York is the epicenter for the uh, for COVID, but we're all in it together, and I think that's uh, that's something quite special. Connectivity, which is something we talked about many times uh, online, sort of sharing a story is mm-hmm. one thing, but this is real life, and we're all in it together. And I, I've been thinking through that, that this is, I don't remember another experience like this, where the whole world kind of embraces. Definitely not in my memory. So yeah. um, it's very unique. And um, hopefully, I'm, I'm trying to encourage as many people as I can to keep notes about their thoughts, their feelings, um, even external things, like what are their feelings on how it's being documented, how it's mm-hmm. being portrayed mm-hmm. in the media. Um, how artists are um, trying to keep us all entertained with, I don't know, live concerts. Um, if they're feeling productive, if they're feeling pressure to be productive. Yeah. It, it's a lot, a lot that's going on. Um, so I hope as storytellers and even as regular people, just keep notes because you might remember it differently after a while. So those notes will definitely uh be handy. So hopefully people are keeping notes. And, you know, in your, in your own sort of estimate, what are those differences? Is it that 
it's literally harder to be outside in some areas than others. I mean, what, what are those sort of is is it is it cultural that uh, some countries were not taking it seriously early on? I mean, a classic example is is America was really late to the game, uh, and at least sort of tackling it head on. Well, what are those differences to you? Um, in in the country's responses, it definitely has to do with um, their deference to scientific authority. That's that's how I would phrase it. If if which is what you're, you're kind of this is your expertise. <laughs> it's not Lebanese politics or economics. Oh, it's no. it's this issue. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. for those who, of you who don't know, I'm a science journalist. I'm currently finishing my master's in that. Um, and yes, I, I genuinely think um, any action needs money, right? Anything you need to do in the world, breathing included, requires the money. Breathing. And money. Yes. So you need to breathe. You need to be in a situation that's healthy. Mm. You can't be underground breathing. You need you need basics. Mm. Money powers mm. that. If mm. you want to power specific action, you need to allocate the budget for it. If specific governments have not allocated that budget or responded differently, were more iffy about spending or procuring material, yeah. that has to do with how much they trust their scientists and policymakers uh, ahead of time. So it's it's not surprising to see how um, countries have fared so far. Hmm. It also has to do with democracy and how early things are actually yeah. revealed. So, right. yeah, it's, I think, a combination of uh, deference to scientific authority and um, how transparent each society is. So that's more on the, on the state level. Yeah. Sort of taking it, or less to do with population reaction, I'm guessing, to, to that. Uh, I don't. I don't think there's a lot um, that has to do with cultural change. For example, like there are some bits, but mm. I think they can be overridden by bigger actions. So, mm. for example, Quebec is now leading in um, social distancing in the whole of North America, yeah, I saw, according you know, to the yeah but, Google but Analytics. I wanted to kind so, of. I, I saw that on the news. <laughs> I'm like, I don't remember Quebec being that. Uh, outside of Montreal, it is a fairly yeah. social. Social distancing is taken for granted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a lot of so yeah. <laughs> maybe that's cultural in a way, mm. Mm. but it's nothing that cannot be enforced, even if your population is not, let's say, culturally primed to do that or culturally accepting of that. You don't have to do it the way the Chinese did it. There's a million way to um, nudge people into social distancing and physical yeah. distancing. For example, um, like in my um, local supermarkets, um, when you walk in, the whole path. There's like lines two meters away, and each aisle has a direction. Yeah, they thought things through. Same thing so, here in New York, and it's uh, it was, I mean, uh, overnight. There are markers yeah, for. I think I think it's two meters at least per. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Just just be creative and be clear with your population, because like I remember here in the early days, um, we didn't really know where to go and get tested if you had a symptom. Yeah. We didn't really know. Uh, what, what to expect if you were to go into a hospital, but that was soon remedied. Yeah. However, in my parents' case, they still don't know. And the, the test is still not for free. So what's the incentive to, to nudge people to social distance if, if they, have, they, they lack the basic knowledge? It's, it's a matter of infrastructure. I think this overrides any cultural differences. And the infrastructure was not there because... It's just this was not something that was thought through. Budget for it. It's budget, but oh, so it's a money thing. It's money. I think so. 
Uh-huh. I think so. Yeah. I genuinely think so. You want to make tests for free? That's a money thing. You want to yeah. open new testing centers? That's a money thing. Right. You want to enforce, like in our in our case in Montreal, there's been like a, a thousand tickets given for those who are not social distancing. You need money oh, to pay really? those officers to go and do that. Okay, so 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 okay, so I, I get your point that administration and government and and healthcare and all these things related to science is what's at stake. And I, uh, ha- have you had any symptoms yourself of, or what, uh, did you think that maybe, you know, I mean, I know that, I know this affects different people in different way. I know that the yeah. younger, the younger crowd may get it without realizing it, but just yourself, did you get, were you, were you sick the last, the last weeks? Um, no, but I know in the household we were a bit worried. So uh, my flatmate, before a couple of weeks, she used to work at the airport. She mm. used to welcome uh, passengers as they landed. Mm-hmm. So we were concerned because she was at a high-risk position. Um, some of the airlines were not providing enough uh, protective equipment. So yeah. it, it was a thing. We were always monitoring, always um, very wary of that. But so far, it's been good. Good. And you know... I back in February I had I mean I was tired yeah and I assumed it's just fatigue but I think everyone that has had some variation of the symptoms yeah. now thinks that they had COVID-19 and I, I'm pretty sure I did not have it but then I was thinking that I mean I would not want to trouble the hospital down the street here or for that matter bothering the the sort of the whole sector because I think, and I and I probably I I'm wrong, that I'm young enough and healthy enough that I would outright it, if I were to get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you know, surprisingly, you see sort of all this other information that you get very sick if you're young. At times, younger people have died from this. Older people have survived. I think yeah. today, a hundred and three year old woman made it through, and she came out okay. So that's I mean. Maybe good that's news. the tail end, and that's that's yeah. good news, but uh, but I just sort of always think that I'm healthy enough to 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 sort of take it in, and I probably yeah. am, but it still shows like a naive sort of uh, it's a it's it's an ill-informed judgment I'm making as somebody who's not in the medical field, someone who does not have a scientific background, just assuming that it's just a very harsh flu, harsh mm-hmm. whatever, but it's more than that, and. Uh, I don't know. I've um, been reading about the Spanish flu, World War One, and how it impacted the Middle East. And that's, of course, a different. That's a famine. That's sort of a, was a very deadly experience in, in many parts of the world, but particularly in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And I came across an article that uh, that said that very little has been written about the Spanish flu afterwards. Uh, and part of the reason is it's that the human condition sort of took a wrong turn and mm-hmm. people are not, people were maybe, maybe a bit ashamed of how they handled it back then. And I'm wondering now, I mean, in your eyes, are you impressed with the way people are handling this in 2020, a global pandemic, um, sort of social distancing is at least tried in many cases uh, people are celebrating the healthcare workers, the first responders, all that stuff. Are you impressed, or are you kind of uh, saying that? <laughs> do you think the opposite that we're a uh, we're not handling it the right way? Okay. Do you want my actual opinion? 
Yeah, of course. I don't want your <laughs> I don't want your BS uh, opinion. Okay. I want the real opinion. I'm, yeah, I'm insanely frustrated with mm. how we're dealing with it. Mm. Very, very frustrated because, again, everyone looks at this situation based on their background, their training, what they like to do in life. Right. In my case, I'm a science communicator, and every day I see how we failed as communicators to get some very, very basic points across. Mm. So whether how it comes to masks, uh, what viruses do, uh, what the numbers mean, the deluge of numbers, people cannot make sense of it. I can barely make sense of it. So we haven't done a good job in communicating what diseases are. And I genuinely, genuinely am afraid uh, if such a scenario were to repeat itself and it's actually airborne, because now it's not, at least in droplets, it's not really like malaria. Right. It, it's not proper airborne. Let me use that phrase. Or it's not engineered. Like We're so unprepared. And the policy papers were there for ages, preparing us and warning us of such conditions that might be a, an actual threat. And I genuinely think no one took them seriously. I don't think we're ready for <laughs> for a disease that's deadlier or that transmits more virulently. So no, I'm, I'm not at all happy with how we're dealing with it. Now, I know that you're not a coronavirus expert. I know that. And I know that you're not a sort of, um, I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to assume that you're, yeah. I mean, I'll ask you sort of the most general, because I know that you have sort of a background in the subject, but maybe COVID-19 is not your sort of your thing. Um, these wa These wet markets in China, that uh i mean every few years it's kind of like a repeated issue mm -hmm. is it sort of simple in the sense that you need to shut down these markets or is it something that the and i ask you in a, in a sort of in a wider yeah. wider way uh you're seeing something unusual now which is an embracing of borders mm. i say unusual because the usual level is already problematic but now <laughs> it's sort of uh It's, I'm officially yeah. locked in. I cannot leave. So yeah, you're not. Yeah, you mean yeah, locked in your home and locked in Canada too. In Canada, yeah, yeah. and and um, like I can leave, but I can't come back. So right, and maybe this is sort of worth sharing that we both had planned on doing several talks and maybe going to a friend's uh, a relative wedding. That yes. I mean, sort of yeah. Of course, like yeah, meeting in, in general is is impossible, but. Or very difficult. But I mean, borders in the sense that, I mean, it is, I think there's a popular uh, will to maybe step back from connectivity and, mm -hmm. uh, and real cooperation and maybe look inwards. America had trends of it already. Uh, Canada has not had that situation, but obviously the UK, um, countries in Europe are dealing with it. And our part of the world has never really been one for interconnectivity among neighboring <laughs> countries. So maybe that's the norm there. And yeah. you know, the neighborhood is already uh, problematic. But I mean, that is it something that all of us have to work on together to make sure it doesn't happen again? Or is it something that, that we, know where the, we know where this is coming from? And we know that for at least several weeks, it was kind of hidden. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of a repeated issue from China. It's not coming from other areas as of now. That it's mm -hmm. mostly coming from these wet markets and wildlife markets. Is it, I mean, how would you tackle that next round? 
and I say this, I mean, I'm very careful. You're, I know you're a master's degree student in Montreal. You're not sort of a Dr. Fauci on TV, sort of uh, <laughs> back and forth. You're not, uh, yeah, I know that. So just from, a, yeah. your own, from your own experience, your own reading on the subject, I mean, how, yeah. would, you, how would you improve uh, the next Actually, response? Actually, I love how you phrased it at, at the end, which is um, this is definitely a problem that needs to be tackled together as an international community while also understanding that we know where it's coming from. Mm, Both yeah. do not negate each other. Right. So for people who are interested in that topic, I would highly recommend a couple of sources. One would be an explainer on Vox. You can find it on YouTube. So uh, just, um, I guess, uh, go to their channel, get to the wet market, and look at how they explain mm how that originated in initially in China, we're talking years ago, yeah. and how they were actually shut down after SARS, and they right. opened again. Right. And this is exactly why I'm saying it's all about the money. They opened again because there was a lot of lobbying pushing for that opening, even though they knew where it started, a lot of lobbying pushing for it, etc., that's a really interesting take on Vox. They explain why those markets actually exist, and it's honestly you know, fascinating. I've, I've seen this documentary, and it's uh, it's. I mean, it was the cat cat. Um, I forget the animal exactly that SARS is associated with. A certain type of cat. I forget the name now. Cat trapper. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So the, so yeah, you're right. It was shut down. They yeah, were. But it got reopened months later. It, right. It's not that it was a long-lasting decision. But so I remember, know, I just yeah. interrupt you, sorry. I remember yeah. Vox sort of getting very deep into a, a Chinese law. That, yes. uh, yeah, yes. and that, that it's about rewording a certain law. But is that really the issue, that it's just uh, a I'm legal? I'm getting there. Okay. I'm getting there. Yeah. Because in that case, it was lobbying that pushed for it, for it to be open again. But, and that I'm, I think was a Guardian article, if I'm not mistaken, that also talked about why is this even happening in China? Why are people yeah. um, going to such length? Why are they even exploring such options for food, etc.? And this also has to do with the global will to forever expand and develop and be more efficient. So that global supply chain relies on China being so efficient and destructive mm. of its um, environment and going into... Uh, I don't know, jungles and whatever ecosystems that they have no business being in. Yeah. So it is an international dilemma and we need to address it internationally. They will not stop doing it just because they feel like it. It's a whole market. So we know where it started, but the whole market needs to respond to it. The whole market meaning what the... All of us consumers, we need to have a very honest conversation about but how we want to pick this up. These these animals are mostly consumed in China, right? Among, it's not a global. I mean, there's not, there isn't a real demand for that. Is it? I forget the name now. That scaled animal that they think pangolin. the bat infected and reached us. Yeah. What, what is the it pangolin. called? Pangolin. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that I mean is that's not really a delicacy outside of. China. It's not. It's not the, the the animals themselves. It's the destruction of the environment, of those animals because they need other resources. It's not the animals per se that are part of the global mm. market. Mm. It's the resources, the byproducts of that, even though they are the actual product mm. that okay. are pushing for further exploitation of environment. So it's a global conversation. For okay. Sure. So the global issue is less the actual 
less the actual human interaction with the animal yeah. in the market. It's got more to do with environmental policy. A hundred percent. Okay. Why aren't you on TV? I've never, I haven't really had it explained this way before. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to read uh, more science news. Yeah, I think. Well, you know what? Fair point. I mean, Vox is not a science journal. It's not science. It's not scientific sure. journalism. Very it's, true. Yeah. Yeah, but but uh, that is probably the most important way to learn what's happening. It's the science route. Um, I want to ask you, sort of, your science brain and. Uh, looking at maybe able to dissect the issue and able to at least anticipate a response or at least the um, the way to tackle it next time. There's not much armchair pontification with uh, science. There's more research, mm-hmm. <laughs> research experiments than sort of hot air back and <laughs> forth, right? And that's what I do. You do the real stuff. I do the hot air stuff. Um, I don't think uh, I don't think God or religion or or confession, or all of these things that Lebanon knows best are going to save that country. And I know that in this part of the world, not enough people take science seriously, but enough do at the same time. Is it possible for us to actually fully embrace science in that part of the world, at least, and not leave Um, it to crooked sort of old ways? Okay, so um, I will try to answer that as much as I can. Um, And it's going to be two answers, honestly. First, um, to be clear, I'm pursuing science journalism, which is not science cheerleading. It's looking at science news and contextualizing it. Fine, science provides findings, results, whatever they are, Mm. but there's still an interpretation role to get it to a general audience. So hopefully this is where science journalists uh, reside, Mm. and this is what I'm trying to do. When it comes to translating this endeavor back home, um, I genuinely think it's it's a matter of time. I I have a lot of hope in that. Um, First, I'm going to give you an example that happened maybe two or three years ago. I think so. Um, We had this debate. Um, We were at Antwerp. A friend of mine and I organized this debate and it was under the title of uh, science versus religion etc it was more about like knowledge finding so we announced it uh, like 100 200 people were about to show up and on that day i definitely get death threats from people i don't know i'm oh, like you guys oh, re- really <laughs> just just for that title <laughs> yes the, we, we hadn't had the debate yet yeah so it, it was a thing on that day so that was three years ago but yeah. Now, the more I think about how we have a responsibility of communicating science as well, that it was also our failure that might have led to that. So at least the reason, and that's my 10 cent on it, why I think a lot of people back home um, defer to God, religion, whatever it is, more often than others is because they have so much mistrust in any other system that was provided for them. Whether it's government, whether it was uh, science experts, whatever it is, um, among at least, I only see it with fellow Arabs. So hopefully that friend who told me this story will <laughs> will recognize herself. I was talking to her the other day, and she tells me that she's wearing gloves every time she goes out. Mm. And like, there's no need. Hands are not a point of entry. You just go back yeah. home and you wash your hands. That's it. The point of entry is here. So 
worst case scenario, wear a mask. If, if you're really being extra cautious. And the reason why I'm wearing mask is hopefully not to infect other people. That's the yeah. only thing I'm worried of about. Course. Yeah. So we were talking about the gloves and she just talks, like looks back at me and she says, so let me ask you this question. If gloves were not necessary, why do physicians wear them in hospitals? And it took me a minute. Like I, all of my friends know this by now. I have a tendency to be very sarcastic, very blunt, very annoying. But I, I, I needed that second to think about it from a science communication perspective. And honestly, she has a mistrust. She's like, why do power or figures have that leisure and I don't? They have access mm. to gloves and I don't. That right. was mostly her question. So yeah. I had to explain that if doctors didn't use gloves, they'd have to wash their hands almost 300 times a day and they wouldn't have time to see patients. So right. that link right. yeah. was not obvious. She was mostly thinking, at least that's my interpretation of it, that why do others get it and I don't? It's our mistrust of the power infrastructures that are around us as Arabs, as um, Lebanese, as whatever it is. We're always worried that someone is out to get us. Someone doesn't want our um, our well-being first. It's, it's, it's a lack of it's a mistrust, and it's partly mm. on us as communicators. Okay, but that's a fair point. Credibility lacks, I mean, there's very little credibility there. But that, wishing that, you know, you can just wish this away, and God mm. will come and help you. I know that this is not only that part of the world. I know that. And it was equally yeah. upsetting to see Mike Pence holding a prayer to pray away the coronavirus. That's... It's the same thing. There was also that video, you know, of the preacher who was yelling, asking Corona to get out. I'm sure <laughs> yes. you've seen it. It's gone viral. Like, even Lebanese and Arab comedians have picked up on it and yeah. made fun of him. It's it's a worldwide thing. Definitely not just us. Of course. And I know, I mean, it, it would be silly to suggest that Lebanon stands out in that. No, no. There's many countries that, there's many societies that, including this society here, there's too many people unwilling to look at science first. But I mean, you said it, science communication. Is it, you have hope that that part of the world will at least take science more seriously as credibility improves and other things? I I, I think they do because they don't have any other choice. Hmm. Yeah. If, if you want to survive this, there's no other choice. Hmm. Besides prayer, I'm going to keep this as an option than washing your hands, right? Yeah. Let's use all the weapons we can in fighting this. You yeah. want to have prayer as a weapon, have it. But I hopefully add more weapons to your uh, defense line, right? So I, I think it's a matter of necessity or else we're just going to die. And if we don't have economists where they're science, with their science, we're going to go bankrupt even faster. So yeah. it, it's a matter of survival. Well said. Well said. Uh, I am taking up a lot of your time because you are in the middle of a thesis i think if i'm not mistaken yeah you're you're uh you have more important things to do than talk to me <laughs> and uh i'm going to make this public uh when you told me today you were in a good mood i'm like oh this is i have to do this because when is it like when will this happen again <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for sharing with the world that I'm in a team with most of my days. Most of the time. Uh, so am I, which is why I think it was like it, these things don't line up that often. I know. Um, 
Also that, I mean, you, you reminded me a few weeks ago, we were supposed to have a talk together. It, it didn't happen. Uh, we were supposed to go to the wedding together. It didn't happen. So, I mean, let's do it this way. <laughs> let's hang out through, <laughs> through the what podcast. I, um, I still think I'm very lucky that I met you in Beirut. And uh, I'm going to, in the details box, I'll maybe, with your permission, maybe sort of maybe laid out more in exactly what you do in terms of your studies. <laughs> sure. Not because it's much broader than just Lebanese politics. I know that you have sort of a, a bigger story. So I'll, I'll include that. And um, Elia, I hope in a not too distant future, we get to see each other, whether it's in New York or in Montreal, or for that matter, in, in, in Beirut. And uh, I'm glad you said yes to video. It's good to see you. Oh, it's always great to see you. And this is amateur. So if my eyes are not looking at you, it's my fault. I have no idea. I tried staying between the eyebrows and I don't think I succeeded the whole way through. But, you got uh, there. You got there. We're getting there. Yeah. Yes. Elia, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad that was fun. It was good. Yes, and I'm going to take a break from the time. That question was so long and unfortunate. Like I said it in such a long way. I'll clean it up, Shway. I'll, yeah, but no, it, it, it was very good. It was very good. I'm going to take a break from the time.